Our scripture lesson this morning comes from chapter 8 of Esther, and I'm going to throw a curveball to our slide person up there as he puts the words up. I'm going to incorporate the reading of this in the beginning of our, the message, so we'll see if he can figure out when I actually read the scripture. The, uh, it's the last day we're spending on the story of Esther in this sermon series on the book, and as you recall, or if you're here visiting for the first time, the Esther story is a, is a tale about a young Jewish girl who finds herself a queen in, in the kingdom of Persia while the Jewish people were in exile, and she ultimately saves her people from execution by changing the king's mind. And what we've learned about the story is that it's not meant, was never intended to be read as a history lesson. It's, although there are some accuracies in it, the basic general, accurate, general things are accurate historically, it wasn't written as a detailed recording of what actually went on. Instead, the story of Esther, as we learned, is a comedy. That's its intent. It's, it's written as a comedy. And the sole purpose of the story was to help the Jewish people who were living in exile to come to grips with that and to actually help them remain faithful to God in the midst of that experience. So it's a comedy. And we find ourselves towards the end of the story today, and I'm going to read part of chapter 8 and then describe the bulk of it and then read the close of chapter 8. And what we find is we're right at the point after which Haman, the villain in the story, has been impaled on the same pole that he had planned for Mordecai, his mortal enemy. And it's this wonderful turn of events that gives some great, you know, the villain gets what he's due. And this is what happened next. On that same day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. Then the king took off his signet ring, which he'd taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. So Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. And then what happens next is Esther then comes to the king again to make another request on behalf of the people to save her people for the plan, from the plans of execution that Haman had laid out for them and the laws that had been put in place to make that happen. That was her request. And the king basically looked at her and said to her, sure, you and Mordecai go and Write whatever you law, whatever law you would like to write regarding the Jews. Here's my, here's my signature. Take my staff, my people, the scribes. Go and write whatever law you see fit regarding the Jews. And so they do that very thing. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king wearing royal robes of blue and white with a golden, great golden crown and a mantle of fine linen and purple, while the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced 
for the Jews there was light and gladness, joy and honor. In every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict came, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a festival and a holiday. Furthermore, many of the peoples of the country professed to be Jews because the fear of the Jews had fallen upon them. So, we come to this point towards the end of the story of Esther. And it all seems to turn out just fine. Everything just seems to be all wrapped up in a nice, neat bow. You know, everyone's happy. It's a happy ending. Esther gets her request. Mordecai is redeemed. Haman gets impaled, the people are saved, it's a happy ending. And we love happy endings. We absolutely love happy endings. We love it to see when everyone just, everything turns out just like we hoped it would and everyone holds hands and smiles and walks off into the sunset together. Happy endings. We love them. But you know what we love even more than a happy ending? Retribution. We love retribution. Revenge, we love it. We love it when the villain gets everything that's coming to him, and the worse it is, the better. It's great. We love it. We love retribution. When I asked the kids who did the musical last month that kicked off our series what their favorite parts of the story were, they listed a number of things. And among those things, a whole host of them could be categorized in this category of retribution scenes. Basically, any scene in the story or the musical that made Haman, the villain, look like a buffoon, they loved it. Loved every bit of that stuff. You know, there was one where Haman walks in thinking that the king is going to honor him and finds out that he's actually going to honor Mordecai, his one he's out to get. And Haman is the one who actually has to lead the horse through the city and a big parade and Mordecai's honor. Can you see the face of Haman as he has to do that? The kids could. They loved it. They loved that scene. They loved the banquet scene where Esther reveals to the king after, you know, getting him all cool and ready with a bunch of food, you know, for some suggestion. She reveals to him that Haman is the culprit of the whole thing and the king loses it. They loved that scene. And, of course, they loved the fact that, and their favorite, some favorite translation is, Haman gets impaled by the very pole that he'd meant for everyone else. And they loved that. They thought that scene was awesome. Yucky, but awesome. Loved it. We love retribution, don't we? And at the end, if this were the end of the story here at the end of chapter 8, if this were the only kind of retribution quality we kind of feel, and if this were it, then that would probably be all well and good. You know, Haman gets what he deserves and uh, Esther and they get what they, you know, should. And if that were the end, then that would, be, that would be good. But the problem is it's not the end. 
The story, in fact, goes on to describe that because of the laws that Esther and Mordecai write, anyone, anyone from this point on who opposes them are slaughtered. Not just a few, we're talking thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. Now, you read that and you start to go, wow, that's, that's a little much, don't you think? I mean, it all starts to feel eerily like Haman's plan, just in the opposite. Doesn't seem right. I mean, is this what we're supposed to take away from the story? I guess is the question that starts to well up inside you when you see these thousands upon thousands of people utterly destroyed and wiped out. Is this the moral lesson that we're supposed to learn from? Is this the kind of justice we're talking about? That when someone opposes us, the whole thing we're supposed to do is then find a way to utterly wipe them out altogether? That's the point? that is, then boy, there's a, there's a good moral lesson to teach our kids, right? Mom, someone called me a name at school today. Well, that's all right. Here in the book of Esther, we're told to just simply wipe them out. So let's go do that. Is that the kind of justice that we're supposed to, is this the lesson? Well, of course, you know I'm going to say no that that, in fact, would be a misread of the text. So, if that is, how are we supposed to read it? How are we supposed to take that? Well, we need to remember that context is everything sometimes. And we need to remember the kind of story it is. Don't forget, this is a comedy. In fact... It's a type of comedy. It's a farce. It's, called, it's a type of, it's called a farcical comedy. And one of the great attributes of a farce is that everything is way over-exaggerated. Everything in the story is way beyond the norm and way out in left field, right? That's what the point of a farce is. So instead of just an indecisive king we instead have a stumbling, bumbling, can't make up his mind on anything right down to what underwear he's going to wear kind of king. Exaggerated. Instead of Haman just being hard-nosed and kind of a jerk, we get a devious, maniacal, out to get absolutely every single other person on the planet doesn't care about anybody but himself, villain. Instead of, you know, Mordecai's not just a smart guy, he's a wise sage in the story that seems to have the right thing to say at every given moment, never seems to say the wrong thing. Esther is not just humble, she is ridiculously humble. It's all exaggerated. So the ending is no different. We don't just get an acknowledgement that the people have been saved by a change of the law or a new law. It goes way beyond that, out into the realm of the ridiculous, you know, and thousands upon thousands. And it's meant to do that, to lift up 
an exaggerated version of the Jewish, the Jewish experience of exile in their life. So to read all these exaggerations and to get to this end, it's about how that would make them feel about the lives that they are living. In fact, what they would be reminded of in each and every exaggeration in the story is the great big beyond their own expectation and imagination, beyond their wildest dreams, kind of God that is present through it all. What they would get and be given in this ending is the great reversal that they would be hoping for in real life. In fact, that's what the story is about altogether. It's about reversals. From start to finish. As Old Testament professor Carol Bechtel puts it, points out, this whole story is one reversal after another. From the reversal of the king's heart to the reversal of Haman's plans to the reversal of the law, the execution laws, to the reversal of Esther and Mordecai's situation to this great big beyond our even the norm of what we would expect, reversal of an ending. It's one reversal after another. And within that, we find the clue we are looking for on how to read this text, that what we find, in fact, is the justice of God. A clue into the justice of God. That God's justice is not about retaliation or Revenge, the justice God brings about is in reversal. All throughout the Bible we get, we see God's justice at work over and over and over again. When God flooded the earth in Genesis, God also completely reversed it. When the Jewish people were living enslaved in Egypt, God reversed it by setting them free and leading them to the promised land. When the early Jewish nation had no king, God reversed it and ultimately gave them King David. When the people finally found themselves far away from God, God reversed it in Jesus Christ, sent his only son to reverse it and, and bring us back home. When Christ was laid in the tomb, God reversed it and turned death into an overwhelming reason to live. The Bible is about a God who is a God of reversals that we also find in spades in this story of Esther lurking behind the scenes. In fact, if all along you've wondered who the secret agent is, maybe you thought it was Esther, you're wrong. It's not Esther. The secret agent in the story is God. Did you know that Esther is the only book of the Bible that actually doesn't mention the name of God? Not once. Never do you see God's name in the whole of the book. And yet, with each moment, each reversal, each exaggeration, there is this palpable sense of the presence of God alive and active and at work. Secret agent. I want to leave our seniors with something today. 
our high school seniors, but other seniors too, fine. <laughs> when you spend this next year, it's a crazy year. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a wild year. It's, you're, on, you're out there. My hope is that if you take nothing else from the story of Esther this morning, that you take some comfort in knowing that you're not always going to feel the presence of God in your life. You're not. In fact, I would venture to guess, unless I'm the only one, that you will spend more time wondering about God than you will being certain about God. But what Esther shows us is that whether or not you feel the presence of God, God is always present. Always. The kind of God who can reverse the hearts of kings. The kind of God who can take situations and turn them upside down. The kind of God that no matter how far away you feel, no matter how hard things can get, this is the kind of God who in Jesus Christ can bring you back home. The great, big God of reversals. I hope you know him. Don't ever forget him. Amen.